All right, guys, what's up for the uh, 70, 70th? Yeah, it is 70th installment of the Playing to Win podcast series. I'm uh, joined today with my friend uh, Raphael from the Wealthy Expat YouTube channel. How you doing, brother? Really good. Thank you for having me. I'm a big fan. Been watching your content for a while. Read your book, left a review, all the good stuff. So happy Thanks. to be here. Yeah, and um, you know, you've been a member of my community for a while. A lot of people ask, well, what kind of members do you have in your community, Rich? Well, we've got uh, Raphael, who is a guy that uh, is a bit of an expert, if uh, we're being honest, on helping guys move to places in the world where tax burdens are reduced and they have a little more freedom, generally speaking, than some of the restrictive uh, lifestyles that they have imposed on them. So um, you've got a YouTube channel. It's called Wealthy Expat. I've uh, tagged it in the title of this YouTube video. So if you guys want to go find it, if you're listening to the podcast, just go to YouTube and search for Wealthy Expat. You'll find it. Uh, he's got some good content on there. I've watched a bit of it. I am subscribed to the channel as well. Um, can you kind of give people like the Batman origin story on how you got interested in this area of business? Because I mean, you've been doing this for how long now? Well, Wealthy Expat has been running for one year, but I've been doing it personally for myself, moving to tax-free countries, lowering taxes for about three and a half years when I started seriously making some money or at least paying a tax bracket over 30% in mm -hmm. the U.S. That's when I started looking at, at all of this. So you're originally from the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about why you wanted to leave the U.S. and you know how you got into this business? For sure. I'm from Puerto Rico, which is actually a tax-free place. A lot of Americans move to Puerto Rico, even though I don't really recommend it. It fits for some types of individuals and some types of families. For most people, they won't enjoy living in an island. And I always learned about taxes because my dad was an accountant in Puerto Rico. So he helped a lot of Americans lower their taxes down to 0% by moving to Puerto Rico and doing their tax returns. So I was always like in accounting offices and I was always talking to accountants and lawyers about tax. So then I started learning about citizenship acquisition. Essentially, you could buy another passport for $100,000, $150,000. I remember when I was 17, I was looking at passports that I could buy, and I wanted to make enough money so that I could buy another passport. I wanted to be dual citizen U.S. and anything else. Then I moved to the U.S. I got a pretty good job, and I started paying about 30 35% in taxes. And then I started my business back then, which was doing just marketing and e-commerce, selling stuff on Shopify, as well as helping e-commerce brands grow by consulting them and helping them. And that's when I started paying serious money in taxes, so 40, 45% tax. And then I paid my first $150,000 to the IRS. And that's the moment when I thought, okay, with this money, I could have done something serious, maybe put a deposit on a house, maybe bought a, a very nice car, Mercedes S-Class or something. Mm -hmm. So I knew I had to do something. I started researching all over the world. And I found United Arab Emirates, Dubai, which a lot of people might've heard. They think it's this Muslim, Hermit Kingdom, which it's really not. It's a very open, liberal place. There are some restrictions, some laws, but you can pretty much pay 0% tax. And there's also about 10 or 15 other places around the world and a lot more options that you can use to reduce your taxes completely legally. So we're not talking about tax evasion or hiding anything or mm -hmm. producing forged documents. It's all legal. And a lot of people start asking me, how did I lower my taxes zero? And then I started telling them and helping them through the process. And I realized that this, this could be an actual business. And the current people that are doing this in the space, they're not that effective, to be frank. So they do provide good information on YouTube. But when it comes to the actual process behind that, they help the client. It takes one year to do a process that should take three or four months. So I wanted to take all those clients that are usually very wealthy. If you're paying 40, 50% tax, it means you're making serious money. So you want the fastest, least hassle process possible and that's what we help them with now and when you moved from puerto rico to the u.s which state did you go to 
New York, one of the highest oh. tax. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, did you ever think maybe it might be better to go somewhere with a lower tax rate, like another state, or it was just like, I'm, I don't have any interest in the U S at that point. It was both. I mean, you can lower your tax by eight to 12% on the high end. If you move to a tax free state, like for example, Florida, which a lot of people are moving to Texas, which a lot of people are moving to, but mm. it was also, I didn't want to live in the U S and mm. a lot of my beliefs in life about freedom about being a nomad around the world, exploring many different places, also about the social laws, how you talk about, you know, people get absolutely destroyed when they get divorced in the US. And all these rules and all these laws, I started analyzing them compared to other countries. And I found more freedom in places that people typically think are dumps, like, for example, UAE, Dubai, or countries in Eastern Europe, which obviously now you can't live there, but a lot of countries there. Or just countries in general where I spent like one month, two months, I was five months in Thailand, enjoying the amazing weather. So overall, I've created this life where I can pick where I go. As a U.S. citizen, you need to be extremely careful. So that's that's what I learned the hard way. You have a U.S. passport, you need to pay taxes no matter where you go. But if you're mm -hmm. Canadian, U.K., Australia, whatever, you can pretty much just move to another place, set up a base there, pay zero tax, and not have to deal with the nonsense of your home country, which is what I wanted to get away from. I get a lot of guys that ask me about that um, idea of, um, you know, where's a good place to live that's friendly to fathers in case the marriage doesn't work out. So since you brought that up, um, have you looked into that with different countries? Are there uh, countries and laws that you found that uh, don't destroy fathers in family court if they end up getting divorced? Yeah, they're typically not the usual ones that people move to. So for example, all the, the big English-speaking countries like U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you're pretty much screwed. A lot of countries in, in the European Union, pretty much screwed. I mean, it's it's 50%. You can take everything mm. or you can take most. Most of them will be less developed or Muslim countries. So, for example, Dubai and the UAE, all you really need to pay is like three months maintenance. So if you get divorced, all you need to pay is like three months after you get divorced three monthly payments of like $2,000, which compared to the US, you'll pay, I don't know, 2 million if you're worth four. Here mm -hmm. you pay $6,000 and you're gone. And a lot of countries in Eastern Europe as well. That's why people typically look to get like a Russian wife because you can't really be screwed in that way by a Russian. Is there also a division of assets in Arab countries like UAE or Dubai where you have to split your assets with your ex? No, it's more of analysis of whose assets whose assets are whose, mm. and then those people maintain those assets at the end. I see. Okay. Um, let's talk about Puerto Rico for a little bit, because uh, I've mentioned Puerto Rico before. Uh, they have these acts, Act 2022, I think they're called. Um, we have at least one member of the community that's that's moved from mainland United States to Puerto Rico to take advantage of the uh, tax benefits because he was in crypto. Um, can you talk a little bit about like the actual experience, the state of living in Puerto Rico? Cause I've heard like horror stories from people that say things like electricity isn't reliable. The road infrastructure is difficult. Uh, if you don't speak Spanish, it's, it's, it's harder to move around sort of thing. Like what's the reality of the average guy that's like, Oh, I, I can move to Puerto Rico. It's very easy and take advantage of tax savings, especially on crypto. You nailed it. You pretty much nailed it. Those are the biggest cons of Puerto Rico. I would say the crime is quite high compared to the U.S. Depends where you're coming from. So, for example, New York right now, the crime has absolutely exploded, like 200% increase over the last couple of months. And because of this whole situation happening. So it, now compared to Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico isn't that bad. 
compared to New York or compared to these other places. But definitely the crime is a problem. I was always scared when I was little about somebody breaking into my house. There's a lot of addiction and overall homelessness, which is also a huge problem. But I would say it's hard to adapt because you're decreasing your quality of life significantly. A lot of people, they move to Puerto Rico and they're super happy with it. They're super happy with the beaches. They're happy with the people that are much more, they have a better vibe and a better life. So for example, people start dancing salsa on the streets mm. and they have more of a life to them than people in the US would, depending on where you're coming from. But yes, the infrastructure is less. The Wi-Fi is slower and it does go out every couple of hours sometimes. The electricity can be gone for one or two days. During the hurricane, the electricity was gone for months. And yes, a lot of people speak Spanish. They don't actually speak English, even though it's a U.S. territory. So I would say if you're okay with living in an island that is not as developed as the United States, that you might need to deal with some electricity, some Wi-Fi problems. You might need to deal with people that are less educated than in the United States. That's definitely something. I would say Puerto Rican people are not as educated. Mm. If you are okay with all of that, because it means that you save 50% tax while maintaining U.S. citizenship, then go for it. Because Puerto Rico is really the only option of a U.S. citizen to pay 0% tax legally. Let's say you save $5, $10 million. The only other option is to renounce U.S. citizenship. So if you want to keep that passport, Puerto Rico makes a ton of sense. Mm. If you don't care about keeping the passport and you're worth $10 million, you could even buy another passport like Malta. Malta is a million dollars, part of the European Union, has access to the United States. So if you want to get access to the U.S., you can buy Malta, renounce U.S. citizenship, and now you pay zero tax. Plus, you can go to the U.S. whenever you want. So it yeah, depends I, on the level of net worth. Yeah. yeah, I had a friend in um, California. And you know how California is, right? It's it's difficult state, um, you know, if you want to pay lower taxes and you want freedoms. But um, yeah, he had this idea that he'd pick up and move the family to Puerto Rico, and he didn't know that much about it. So he went there with his wife and checked it out. And two weeks later, he came back. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to live there. So I find... Yeah. You know, I found that interesting because there's always these, you know, like notions and ideas that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And then you don't always find that that's true. Um, do you get that sometimes with your clients where they, you know, make a move to another country and they're like, ah, this isn't for me. I need to go somewhere else. Yes, that's why I also advocate on giving up your tax residence wherever you are. So, for example, let's say you're in Canada and you want to move to Dubai. Canada is pretty aggressive. The CRA will try to tax you. We'll try to do a, a disposition tax, basically an exit tax when you leave the country. So they'll try to tax every single bit that they can. Mm. Once you're out of the Canadian tax system, if you do it with a proper lawyer and proper accountant, then you can structure your time however you want. So you could spend, for example, six months a year in Dubai, let's say, because you want to be there for zero tax. And the other six months, you could travel all around the world. Mm. Or you could go to, for example, a country like Malaysia that only taxes income sourced in Malaysia. It's a territorial-based tax system. So you essentially don't pay any taxes if your money comes from outside of Malaysia. So there's different options. I've had clients that, for example, have moved to Dubai, have moved to Singapore, and they're not happy. But they can also change to another country as long as they don't go back to their home country, like Canada. If they go back to Canada again, or at any point they buy a home in Canada, or they create let's say assets or invest in a fund in Canada that could put them as tax resident. But yes, I've had that situation happen, ha happen but there's always solutions to it. Or mm. you could have your setup in one country, your setup in the UAE, and then spend your time between other countries as long as you give up absolutely everything in your home country. So I've had, for example, clients from Australia 
that give up their tax residence, sell everything, close their bank accounts, bring their family, do absolutely everything they need to just completely get out of Australia. The only thing tying them is their passport. They live one, two months a year in Dubai and the other couple of months or the, the other rest of the year, they live in other countries that don't tax them and they never go back to Australia. That's also an option as long as you. Yeah. Okay. Um, how many passports are ideal to acquire if you're, if you're a human of the world, let's call it, right? Because I mean, <laughs> there's advocates out there that are saying, you know, you should have multiple passports, you should have multiple driver's licenses. The more you acquire, the better it is. What's your view on that? I would say the more you acquire is not necessarily the better because you are tied to a country. Is there a sweet so a lot spot? Of like three, two, five? I would say three is a good sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Three, I would say a middle tier passport. Like for example, I'll show you mine right now. So I have the St. Kitts and Nevis one. This passport costs $150,000. It is a middle tier passport because you don't have access to the big four. Like US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, but you have access to everything else. And it's, it's a country that has 55,000 people. So they're never going to tax you. They don't care where you are. St. Kitts doesn't care what I do all over the world. They're not going to research you, nothing. But you want to have an even stronger passport just in case St. Kitts Fs up with the European Union. And now we lost access to Europe, for example. In the next couple of years, we might lose access to Europe because they're selling their passports and the European Union doesn't like that. Mm -hmm. Great. I can go get a Mexican passport, for example. Now has access to the European Union, also has access to Canada, has access to New Zealand, and I can travel to those countries. And then if that doesn't work, then I can go get another passport like the Portuguese passport in five years. So you could do the golden visa in Portugal and get that passport, which is even stronger. I would say three passport is really good. One or two intermediate ones. Mm -hmm. If you have, for example, like Iranian ancestry or Afghan ancestry, then just forget about your ancestry. Don't, don't get any of these like terrible passports. One or two intermediate ones and one like top tier passport, like Canada or UK or something like that. It seems like an ancestry passport is pretty easy to get, right? Like I was, I mean, I was born in the UK, so I already have a British passport. I have a Canadian passport. Um, I mean, my mom, you could call her Greek, but she lived all around the Mediterranean. So like getting residency through her, probably through Greece or something like that would be ideal. That would be reasonably easy too, right? Depends on the country. Greece is one of the toughest ones. You mm -hmm. do need to prove your Greek ancestry and that you are exactly a Greek citizen. So it, you never get citizenship by descent. You are already a citizen. You're just claiming your citizenship. That's, that's how it essentially works. So, so you fine. need to prove, yeah, you need to prove that you do belong as a citizen of that country. And a lot of countries make it very hard. So for example, Italy, Greece, these are two countries that are super slow. It can take years to get citizenship by descent. Other countries like Spain tend to be a little bit faster, like maybe six to nine months. So it isn't a very straightforward process. If you were born in a country and you never got citizenship there, like, for example, anywhere in Latin America, let's say you were born in Ecuador, born in Argentina, whatever, and then your parents moved to the U.S., you can claim that citizenship easily because anybody born in most Latin American countries is already a citizen. You just need to claim it. So those are a little bit easier. What about the British overseas territories? Like you mentioned St. Kitts and Nevis. Is that, is that easier for me to get than somebody that's not a British, a British uh, citizen? No, this is an independent country now. So they were a British overseas territory. Now they're mm -hmm. not. So you and me would be the same requirements to get it. For you, it would be different. For example, Cayman Islands would be very different. Why or any different? other, because it is part of the UK. It's under the UK crown. Oh, I see. So let's say that, I live in Cayman Islands for five years. Mm -hmm. 
tax-free, after one year of those five years, so six years in total, I can apply for UK citizenship because I've lived in a British overseas territory. Mm. So they do have different laws, but and and for me to get like a Cayman Island passport, what does that look like as a British uh, citizen? You don't really need it, to be honest. I mean, there is a Cayman Islands passport, but it is a passport of the United Kingdom, and it just says Cayman Islands on the bottom. So, to my understanding. It's not possible to get Cayman Islands passport as a UK citizen. You can get Cayman Islands permanent residence because you already have it as a UK citizen. But I don't really see many people getting like a Cayman Islands passport and then another British overseas territory. Okay, so that would be an easy way. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Um, What about? Can you talk about tax trees a little bit? I've seen a few of your videos where you kind of drop the soundbite when you're talking about a certain country or certain passport. Can you explain what tax trees are to people watching? For sure. So tax treaties, a lot of countries have them, mainly high tax countries. So essentially, if you live in Spain and you are a German tax resident, you'll be paying taxes to one or the other. So you'll be paying taxes to Germany or you'll be paying taxes to Spain, depending on which one, for example, has the most credits or what kind of income you have. So tax treaties essentially make it so that you don't pay tax in two countries. Now, the way that you can use tax treaties is, for example, Singapore has a really interesting tax treaty where if you live in Singapore, but your company is based in a country with a headline tax of 15% or more. So let's say I'm Singaporean, I live in Singapore, or I'm living in Singapore the last 10 years, but I come from the US, and my company is in a country that has 20% tax. Then I can pay zero tax in Singapore. I can pay 20% tax in the other country. But there's a loophole. Some countries have a very high headline tax, like for example, Malaysia, which is right next to Singapore. This is very common. Malaysia has a 24% tax. But there's a certain province in Malaysia that has a 3% tax. So you can establish a company in that province, pay 3%. But because of the headline tax of Malaysia, it's 24%. I, as a Singapore resident, pay 3%, the real tax rate that I'm going to pay. So you can use tax treaties. I mean, they vary depending on where you're from, what your citizenship is, where you live, where you come from. But you can use them as a way to lower your tax completely legally by utilizing loopholes. So that's, that's how you use them. You can Google tax treaty, Canada, Dubai, tax treaty, Canada, Australia, and you'll find them. Which we were talking about crypto earlier, which um, countries at this time of the recording are friendliest to uh, crypto holders, people that want to reduce their crypto liabilities. Um, I've heard uh, Portugal is good, but I've also heard that um, that's changing. Yes, Portugal is changing. It isn't law yet, but it is a heavy proposal. It got rejected twice by the government, but it is a proposal to tax crypto as regular capital gains. So it would have plus 20% tax. The thing is that a lot of these countries, they've seen how much money they have lost compared to other countries. So Portugal is probably looking at Spain. Spain has a 40, 50% tax rate versus Portugal that has a 0% tax rate on crypto, or at least it's not tax. And the government wants to push for that and, you know, equality and fairness to their local people because the rich are not paying taxes. So, yes, Portugal is heading in the wrong direction. I would say anywhere in the European Union, definitely heading in the wrong direction. But Malta is quite attractive and they do have a lot of programs where you can move to Malta and pay less tax. Estonia is also quite interesting. Portugal, still interesting. I would say not in the coming years. Dubai, UAE, for sure. 0% tax on absolutely everything. 0% capital gains. Puerto Rico, I do have to put it in there because it is 0% tax for all U.S. citizens. You don't pay any tax on crypto. And these overseas territories like 
Cayman Islands, for example, absolutely 0%. Thailand is another one that I should mention because a lot of people are interested in Thailand and it's a country that it's impossible to become tax resident. So let's say that you move to Thailand and you live there all your life and you go to the tax office and you tell them, I live in Thailand, I want to pay Thai taxes. Great, show us your employment contract. Oh, I don't have it. Oh, okay, then go away, don't pay our taxes. They, they truly don't care. So in Thailand, there's, there's that loophole that people live there and never pay taxes. And there are some countries like that, that you can pay zero tax, specifically in crypto, because nothing passes through a bank account and you're pretty much tax-free. Yeah. So I've been hit with this um, from a whole bunch of different angles over the years. And people have said to me, you know, Rich, when are you going to leave Canada? And it's the same answer, right? Like I'm, I'm still a, a parent and I have a kid to raise and, you know, and she's an adult, then I'll make that decision. But I'm looking at options, you know, as I get closer to that date, I've, I mean, there's different places in the world. You've mentioned Asia, you've mentioned parts in Europe. Um, I've traveled a bit. I've seen, you know, a bit of the world and I would probably maintain um, residency somewhere in Eastern Standard Time. I'm not going to retire ever. You know, I like doing what I do. I'll, I'll probably keep podcasting until it stops working for me. So um, it makes more sense for me to be able to talk to my audience in a time zone that I'm in, you know, for the most part that they're also in. Um, so that would limit me to Eastern standard time. Where am I looking, you know, for a guy like me or, or people that are watching that are also in the same sort of boat where they're in North America and they want to make sure that, you know, as they move out of a more limiting or, um, taxing tax system, taxing tax system back to back, eh? um, that they go to a place that lets them sort of deal with time zones that work for them. So is that Caribbean? Is that like Central America? Is that South America? Like, what does that look like? I would say Caribbean is the best option if you want, even though most of them are islands, of course, but you do have a lot of tax-free places. So for example, Cayman Islands, you have Antigua and Barbuda, you have St. Kitts, which I'm a citizen of. They are also completely tax-free, specifically on crypto. They welcome crypto heavily. All these little islands, even though they're extremely boring to live in and you might be bored after a month, they are absolutely tax-free. So you can live there and not do anything. Bermuda, also tax-free, quite close to Canada, or at least mm. you can take flights easily from there. Central America, you're decreasing your quality of life significantly. So you could go to Panama if you want a slightly higher quality of life, but most of Central America is quite low quality. I would say Costa Rica is one of the exceptions, but the crime is increasing. El Salvador, making Bitcoin legal tender, that's improving. Still, the crime is very heavy. I would not recommend people move to El Salvador yet. If we're going down to South America, Colombia depends how you live because Colombia do, does have very high taxes. A lot of Colombians move to Panama to lower their taxes because they are so aggressive. Mm -hmm. But if you live in Colombia, for example, five months and a half every year, then you don't pay any tax because the rule is 183 days or more per year. Other places, I would say Ecuador is quite tax friendly. You can live there very easily, deposit 40 grand in a bank account. You get residence quite easily. Chile has some exemptions for foreigners in the first three years. You can pay very little tax if you come from another country. You can also get a great passport. And Uruguay, which is all, it's called the Switzerland of Latin America because it is very safe, very developed, or it's developing quite fast and has great banking, great tax laws. Apart from that, the Bahamas as well, which is very close to the US. A lot of people choose it, absolutely tax-free. A lot of crypto companies going there as well. I would say there's not that many other countries. You can live in Mexico. Mexico does have a lot of taxes, but there are ways of avoiding it easily. Mm -hmm. As a foreigner, I would say those are all your options. I would be careful with 
the countries that people typically move to as digital nomads. So Colombia is a very popular one. People move to Medellin, people look, move to all these places, but Colombia has one of the highest taxes in Latin America and they are very aggressive. So if you want to stay within this, consider the islands in the Caribbean, mainly Bahamas, Cayman Islands, Antigua and St. Kitts. Consider Uruguay, consider Chile and Colombia if you want to live part of the time, Ecuador and I would say Panama, Costa Rica to an extent. Mm. How do... How did taxes affect these um, cruisers? I don't know if you've heard of these cruiser lifestyle, but it's these people that basically live on a sailboat. They, you know, they go to the Mediterranean for the summer. They sail across the Atlantic and they hang out in the uh, Caribbean, you know, for the winter after the hurricane season's over, or maybe they travel some, to some other part of the world. How does it work for people like that? It depends where you're coming from. So I had a client who, absolute horror story. He came from Australia, 20 years, he had a cruiser lifestyle, went mm -hmm. to Australia maybe one or two weeks a year. And had, has a giant boat, has been traveling the entire world, came back to Australia to retire. And now the ATO, the Australia tax, basically the, the tax system, is telling him that because he never actually left Australia, he never became a tax non-resident. Now he needs to pay taxes for the last 20 years. And now he's trying to battle that he's actually going to court against the ATO to try to get that absolutely annulled. But you do have to be very careful how you leave the country. So let's say you want to be a cruiser. You want to go on a sailboat, buy whatever price or whatever size you want to buy, travel all over the world. Make sure that you are clearly in the system as a tax non-resident of wherever you're leaving. If you're a U.S. citizen, you need to do any extra planning. You can pay zero tax. That's for sure. You can renounce your U.S. citizenship to be completely away from the IRS. But you need to make sure that you're a tax non-resident. Then you need to have some base around the world. I do definitely recommend it. So, for example, the easiest one that I typically recommend is Dubai, because Dubai has a rule where you only need to spend one day every six months in Dubai. That's all you need to spend in order to qualify as a resident, not a tax resident, but a resident. It's good to have residents somewhere so that if you're coming from Canada and Canada says, great, Rich, you've been traveling the world for the last 10 years. Where have you been living? Well, I've been living in Dubai. OK, great. Shows your residence permit, shows your bank statement, shows all of that. Well, here you go, because you're actually connected to Dubai. Mm. So I would use that as, as an extra protection just in case. Mm. Um, you guys can ask questions, by the way, if you're on you know, YouTube as a member, you can throw them in the uh, comments and I'll, and I'll pose them, Raphael. Um, let me grab the super chat here real quick. There's uh, Kelson. Uh, awesome to see the collab. Lots of gems provided. Uh, the expat, both the expat channel. Thank you. Um, so... I was going to ask you something. It escapes me right now. Um, the um, yeah, the notion of a home base is interesting because I mean, you mentioned one day in a country like Dubai would work. Um, what about the Caribbean? Are there are there one day rules? You know, somewhere in the Caribbean or like a month rule or anything like that? Yes, Cayman Islands has that. So, for example, if you buy a property, you do need to spend quite a significant amount of money. So, for example, if you spend 2.4 million US dollars in a villa in Cayman, you can get an insane house. You only need to spend one day per year in the mm -hmm. Cayman Islands to become a permanent resident or essentially be a resident of Cayman Islands. You can just sail to the islands for literally 48, 24 hours and then leave again. So, yes, there's a lot of options like that. I would say because one person mentioned it. Uh, he barely mentions the giant Mexico. Mexico does have rules like that where you don't need to spend a ton of time per year in Mexico and you can definitely lower your taxes or pay a significant amount of less in tax. But usually most countries, if you spend the right amount of money, you can get residence without actually spending any time. So Malta has a new program in the European Union, the Mediterranean, great place to go sailing. They have a program where if you spend, right now it's 98,000 euro. So $110,000 or so, 
plus around ten or twenty thousand dollars in contributions to the government, you can get permanent residence in Malta, and you never have to visit Malta. So you could literally be a resident of Malta without ever visiting Malta if you spend a hundred thousand dollars. So those are definitely options, and there are many countries right now. I can't think of all the countries that have this rule, but definitely if you're interested in the Eastern time zone, Cayman Islands is the easiest, and Bahamas also has a rule. Yeah. Are these countries competing for residencies and citizenships? You know what I mean. Like, are they actively passing legislation and laws that? make the barrier to entry easier or is it just kind of like it's like this is where we're at we're not changing anything i'm just i'm just curious because i mean like when i mean my experience with laws and legislation is it's a moving target the goalpost moves over time depending on whether it's a conservative government a liberal government whatever the economic climate looks like if they need more tax revenue sort of thing so i think that's a given right like the laws will change over time but do they compete for citizens I guess is what I'm asking. Yes, they compete to the extent that other countries bully them to not compete. So, for example, mm. Vanuatu, which is a very popular country in the Pacific Ocean, they sell their citizenship for $100,000. They have a lot of experience having Australians move to Vanuatu and lower their taxes legally and do everything there. But they've also sold their passport to a lot of scammers and a lot of people that have been in the Interpol watch list and essentially the people that you don't want to be mm -hmm. the citizen of your country. So the European Union and overall the Schengen area said, OK, Vanuatu, because of these things that you've done in the past, now you can't access Europe without a visa. And now all Vanuatu passport holders can't access Europe without a visa starting in 2023, I believe, next year. So they can impose those restrictions. And the same happens with St. Kitts, which is the passport that I got. OK, great, St. Kitts. Keep selling your passport. If you keep selling it in the next three years, we'll take out Europe visa-free travel. And these pushes and these restrictions, obviously are going to affect the country's decisions on what programs to have and how little time you can spend in the country. So mm -hmm. Dubai and the UAE is definitely getting restrictions from many countries because they've been very open to Russians, for example. They were open to Russians. Europe banned all Russians. Pretty much everybody banned all Russians, except the UAE and Turkey. And now the UAE said that Russians are banned from banking in the UAE because obviously they're getting bullied by other countries, specifically Europe, US, Canada, and so on. So all these countries compete to the extent that other countries don't bully them. So they'll bully them up to the point where they say, okay, you're a small little island in the Caribbean. You can compete up to this point. If you put it at a lower price point, we'll put restrictions, we'll put sanctions. If you allow these kinds of people to be your citizens, we'll put more restrictions. That's how it works. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of underlying things that you have to deal with. Like the guy that was mentioning um, Mexico. So... A few years ago, before the beer bug hit, I was looking at buying some real estate in Tulum because they were putting up these villas. They're like building like crazy down there. And I really like yeah. Tulum, you know, as a place to like visit and hang out. It's very bohemian and, and, and chill and it's got nice beaches and the food's good and the people are pretty cool. So I started looking around and I was talking to a friend of mine that um, renounced his U.S. citizenship. He was living in California to go live in uh, uh, Baja or down at uh, Cabo San Lucas, sorry. So in Baja, Mexico. And I asked him why he had to do that. And he said, well, you can't own Mexican real estate on waterfront unless you're a Mexican citizen. So his dad was Mexican. He moved down to Mexico, renounced his U.S. citizenship, became a Mexican citizen, bought real estate on the beach. He's done very well. So he's, you know, he's taken care of. So I started looking into this and apparently a lot of these people that are buying real estate, whether it's close to water or not, 
I think the rule is it's it's got to be a certain distance from waterfront and then you can buy it as an expat sort of thing, but you don't actually own it in your name. Apparently a bank holds the title to the house in their name in a bare trust agreement with you behind it. But I have a real problem with that because, I mean, I have friends that are uh, Bayesian, Bayesian uh, citizens that drop their Canadian or U.S. passport and then they now live in Mexico and they're buying up loads of real estate. But the problem with that is I don't trust governments at all as far as I can throw them. And if they need to raise money and they've got banks holding a whole bunch of uh, titles on property with a bare trust agreement behind it, if you think that you're going to beat the Mexican government in court if they want to steal your property, you're dreaming, right? I mean, this is a this is a risk that you have to consider as well when you're looking at buying real estate too, right? Yeah, I would consider that in any country. So it wouldn't just be Mexico. It'd be any country that you want to buy property in, specifically in less developed, more corrupt tendency countries. I would definitely look at the law and see what exactly do you own as a non-citizen? Because citizens obviously have full right, but non-citizens, usually there's a lot of loopholes. Usually you own the property, but you can't own the land under the property. It happens in Asia a lot. You own the property for 50 years, but after the 50 years, that's it. It's not your property anymore. You need to renew it. So really you don't own it. You, you're leasing it for 50 years. So definitely look at the law, no matter what country you go to. It's not just in Mexico. It'd be anywhere. Mm. Is it similar in other countries to the way that Mexico handles it, where they don't let you hold, hold the title to a property unless it's held in a title, unless the bank holds a title and there's a bare trust agreement that's behind that? That system, you know? that not that common. Yeah, that's more a question for a lawyer. I'm not 100% sure on that answer. But for example, in let's say in Dubai, in the UAE, you don't own the property forever as a non-citizen. You mm -hmm. only own it for 99 years. That, that's what happens in, in the UAE. In Thailand, for example, you own the property, but the land beneath the property is owned by a citizen. In Cambodia, for example, you can only own land as a citizen as well. So many countries have that that rule or restriction where citizens only can own land or the full right to a property. Mm, gotcha. Uh, Kelsen again says, after the U.S. passport citizenship by taxation, where would you rank Canada, Australia, EU in terms of difficulty of expatriating from the country? That's a good question. I would say the U.S., it is the most difficult because you do need to renounce your citizenship, but it's not that hard to pay zero tax. You can have a lot of loopholes in order to pay zero taxes. Capital gains, it's harder to pay zero tax, but I've done it as a U.S. citizen, lower my, my earned income tax rate down to 0% on my capital gains. So it's possible. I would say the next one is Canada because they do have an exit tax, deemed disposition tax, and it is quite hard to fight against the CRA for your money. The next one I would say would be the Scandinavian countries like Sweden, Denmark. They all have 60, 65% tax rates. They're quite hard to get away from. I would say Spain, France, Belgium, all these Northwestern European countries are quite tough to get out of. Then I would put Australia somewhere in there because a lot of my clients have gotten out of Australia pretty clean. I do have an accountant in Australia that helps with that and has helped many clients get out of Australia. It's actually one of our biggest markets that they just want to leave. And specifically because of the beer bug. The, the restrictions were insane, so they wanted to leave. I would say U.S., in part. Canada, definitely one of the toughest ones. Northern EU, Australia, I, I would put it in that rank. Yeah. I'm this question kind of outside of the whole, um, you know, idea of 
the lower tax rates and all that sort of stuff. You mentioned that um, Australia, you know, you've got a lot of clients there that have decided to want to get out, um, especially during the beer bug time because restrictions were insane. Canada was probably pretty close to as bad, maybe just as bad. It's difficult to say. I mean, like Trudeau is still going on about nonsense. Like, you know, you're going to have to keep getting COVID jabs to be classified as vaccinated. And which just leads me to believe that he's going to bring back the travel travel restrictions again in the fall when, when it's convenient because some new 17th wave, you know, comes our way sort of thing. So um, as far as countries go, like, do you think that the exodus of high net worth individuals from countries like, let's say, Australia or Canada, you know, for example, or any others where people might be, you know, leaving from and moving elsewhere, how, how damaging would that become to the economy, you know, in your view? I would say, or is it at all? Or is it just like a, you know, like a drop in the bucket sort of thing? Specifically in countries like the US, for example, if you go to Facebook and you type in US citizenship pronunciation, there's a group that has like 3000 members. Most of them are high net worth. They all want to renounce US citizenship. Many people are doing it every single day, hundreds of people. But the amount of people that is moving to the US and specifically the amount of millionaires moving to the US is also quite high. So it evens out. It's not like wealth is draining out of the U.S. Yes, a lot of people are moving out, but also people are moving towards the U.S. I would say we'll only see this in a couple of decades. I would say specifically countries like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, even because of their restrictions, they've lost thousands of millionaires. And if you Google like millionaire migration, there's a map that I think it was Henley and Partners is a big citizenship firm. They made a map saying which, which countries benefited the most because of the beer bug problems and which countries got the most millionaires and in reality the most the countries that got the most millionaires were like uae dubai israel singapore moved a lot of people some countries in europe but countries that lost a ton of people were like canada australia new zealand all these countries that had crazy restrictions so long term next 20 40 60 years definitely makes a huge effect on the economy even if more people are moving to the country but yeah yeah yeah, I wonder if, if if these politicians even consider that or if they just don't care. It's 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 my view that they just don't care about, about it at this point. Like, what do you think? I think they just don't care. They're like, you know, everybody should pay 50% tax. These are the restrictions. Deal with it or go. And that that's the, for example, Elizabeth Warren in the U.S. She was talking about taxes for U.S. citizens. And she said, good luck paying less taxes as a U.S. citizen because we trap you no matter where you go around the world. It was something like that. I'm not quoting her or something similar like that. And yeah, U.S. citizens are kind of trapped. The only way is to renounce U.S. citizenship. So they truly don't care. This is the law. You want to get out of Canada? Great. Give us a big chunk of your wealth through the exit tax. And that's the way that you get out. So they really trap you. Um, Carlos says, I'm a pest control business owner in California. Business is booming. Easy money. Taxes are high, but I also charge good. Loving, sunny California, baby. California is nice. I mean, uh, it's... I don't know. There's like crappy places. There's nasty places. Uh, tax rates are high. The weather is wonderful. It's it's basically a desert right on the coast. I mean, like, you know, depending on where you go, obviously. But um, there's, re- there's a reason why there's a lot of my uh, colleagues when I was younger moved out west to either Vancouver or California because it was always attractive, right? And I think it's always going to be reasonably attractive until such time as it's just so bad. I mean, it seems like it's gotten to the point where it's like that bad now where people are saying, screw it. I'm going to go to Florida. I'm going to go to Texas, Arizona sort of thing. Um, and there's been a mass migration. I think from what I understand, basically Austin is pretty much like mini California now. 
Um, is it is it like that within places in the U.S.? The tax, or, or rate, sorry, within places in the EU. Oh, in the EU for sure. Oh yeah. yeah, a lot of people moving to other countries. For example, from Spain, they moved to Portugal. From a lot of countries, I have an Italian client who's making like three hundred grand a month drop shipping. He moved to Malta to lower his taxes down. So for sure, yeah, people are moving from from one country to the other. Hungary has a really good program now, even though it's not the best place to live, but they have a 9% corporate tax, significant difference to other countries that have 20, 25%. So yeah, in, in EU, that happens a lot. Mm. Is is Malta part of Europe or is it part of Africa? Because I know it's on that horn of... It's European Union country. It's part of Europe. It, it is like it is right next country. to, to yeah. Tunisia, but yeah. Okay. Um, you mean Americans are trapped because of FATCA. What is FATCA? What does that mean? Do you know? FATCA essentially means that all banks around the world, if you're a U.S. citizen, you show up at a bank with a U.S. passport. They need to legally, if they want to comply with the United States and use the U.S. dollar as a currency, they need to send all your information to the U.S. And that's FATCA, essentially. And a lot of banks don't accept Americans because of that, Switzerland being a great example. If you show up at many of the Swiss banks with a U.S. passport, they'll say, Ish, how much money are you going to deposit? One million plus, I hope. And you say, no, no, less than one million, like 100K. Okay, goodbye. We don't want you. Because the complexity of reporting for a U.S. citizen is insane. So not only trap because of FATCA, I would say also trap because you need to do the reporting yourself. It's not just the banks doing the reporting. If you look at my tax return from last year, I mean, it's like 300 pages. It's insane. And I don't even, I didn't even touch the U.S. last year. But I need to do it because of the citizenship. I see. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah, there's lots of gold in this podcast, guys. I hope you're enjoying it. Hit the like button if you are. Um, we've got a few minutes left, like 15, 20 minutes, and then we need to wrap up. But um, what is it, uh, like what else should people contemplate as well when they're looking at this that we haven't talked about yet? I would say the lifestyle that they're going to live in a country that has less taxes. So what a lot of people think is mainly U.S. people that are moving to Puerto Rico is, oh, my lifestyle is going to be exactly the same and everything's going to be amazing, but I'm now going to pay 0% tax. Well, probably not. And the same applies to any other country that you move. Let's say you want to move from a very high tax country like Canada. You want to move down to Mexico and expect that the quality of life is going to be the same and you're going to be able to drive your McLaren all over the place. Well, if you drive from McLaren in Mexico and you put a million dollars in the bank in Mexico, <laughs> probably somebody's going to know about that and somebody's going to rob you at some point. So do make sure that the lifestyle in the country where you're going to, to pay less tax, matches what you want. Because if you want to drive a Ferrari or a McLaren every day, you probably can't do that in Costa Rica or El Salvador or other countries like that. You, if you want to drive Ferrari all day, then you might need to go to the UAE or Singapore or other countries that are also quite luxurious and very safe. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that many people don't consider is they say, oh, I'm going to move there because... I saw it on the Wealthy Expat channel, and then they talk to me and they say, oh, actually, I, I like mountain weather. Well, Dubai doesn't have any mountain weather, so you're probably going to suffer all year. Or they want to go to a place that has like four seasons. Well, we suggest them things that have four seasons. So that, that's a big factor. And also family as well. Like if you're going to move there with kids, make sure education is quite high. Make sure they're not going to be bullied because they don't speak Spanish, which happens a lot in Puerto Rico. So that's something that people don't consider. Is there, um, is there a ranking that you've done anywhere, like on a website where it's like, you know, these are lifestyle countries, these are crypto friendly, these are tax friendly, these are ease of getting citizenship friendly? Like, is there a ranking system anywhere that you've put together? I haven't done that, but I will. Now that you gave me that idea, I usually do it on one-to-one on -one calls. The mm -hmm. clients come on the call and we do it for them. But I, I'm, I'm planning a software that essentially you put like 
what you're looking for, what kind of tax you want to pay or comfortable paying, what kind of lifestyle you want to live. And then it tells you what country you should move to. Yeah, that'd be a useful sort of um, yeah. calculator. I mean, like you could o- almost use it as an opt-in to get them on an email list to say, you know, fill out this uh, quiz and you'll be delivered a email that'll tell you, you know, the top three countries that meet that criteria sort of thing. Sure. Uh, we got another tuber here. He says, um, you're experiencing crypto exchanges in Dubai. Any issues you had depositing or withdrawing? Hard KYC rules. No, your customers are strict and limit on how much to buy, sell. So, yeah. So what's the deal with that in Dubai? I would say don't use Dubai exchanges. All of these places that are developing or rapidly developing always use outside services, but with your ID from the country. So I use a Bulgarian exchange. It's called Nexo. Great exchange for cashing out crypto and cashing in or on-ramping crypto, but you use your Dubai ID to sign up for Nexo or you use Binance or use FTX, but you use your ID from Dubai. So I would say if you want to exchange in Dubai or do any sort of crypto in Dubai, then you definitely need to use outside exchanges. And the same applies for any, let's say, Mexico or Costa Rica or any of these places. Don't use local Bitcoin exchanges or crypto exchanges. Use outside, but with the ID from that country. Um, You sound reasonably bullish on crypto. So what's your outlook on it over the next five to 10 years as far as, um, you know, the cryptocurrency market? I mean, it's in the toilet right now. It's (laughs) it is what it is. Just I mean, my opinion is keep buying. That's what I do. But yours. My opinion is keep buying as well. Uh, Crypto Jack, which is a pretty big YouTube channel about crypto. He's my partner, a wealthy expat. He bought some shares in my company. So he obviously believes 100%. I believe 100%. I would say when I saw that crypto could be life-changing or at least business-changing was Mm -hmm. around January, February of this year when most of our sales were crypto because they were from people that didn't have access to banking, that just wanted to leave their country. I had Australians calling me saying, dude, I want to leave Australia tomorrow. What do I need to do? Well, you need to pay. Okay, well, how can I pay you? Crypto? Yeah, sure. The payment was there in five minutes. We set them up. They moved the next day. So it really facilitates payments all over the world. And I think that technology is going to keep growing. Crypto is not going anywhere. Five to 10 years. I don't know where we're going to be. Maybe a million, maybe 10,000 again. Mm. But definitely the outlook is positive long term. Mm. Uh, Chris says, forgive my naivety. Uh, this is one of the first I've heard of the wealthy expat. I will investigate your channel. Do you, do you do paid consultation for a private discussion on getting some advice? Definitely. So what you can do, you can go to my channel and then on any of the videos, if you book a call, that's either going to take you to me or one of my assistants. What you can also do is you can message me on WhatsApp. There's going to be a link always on the channel or on the descriptions of the video for WhatsApp. That's my personal WhatsApp number. So just write me, say, I watch you on Playing to Win or watch you on Rich Cooper podcast. And I have this question. We'll book a call one-on-one. No problem. Mm. Chris is also a member of the 1% too. I know the, oh, nice. you know the group's getting bigger, but yeah, he's one of the insiders. Jerry says Bitcoin was a dollar 10 years ago. Crypto is not in the toilet. It's, it's in the toilet relative to November last year. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was meeting up with some of my boys last night because we're doing a rally next week and we had to get some stickers and shirts and stuff done so we're all hanging out and shooting the shit and you know the topic of crypto came up and almost unanimously everybody's like oh it's down from sixty thousand dollars down to 20 it's gonna go to zero i don't understand it blah 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 so i mean the sentiment's good for buyers that want to acquire um you know buffett says when there's blood in the street that's when you want to pick this uh, stuff up so obviously he's not a crypto fan he likes buying stocks but you know you can apply that to any economic condition um, when there's supply and demand issues like we're dealing with today. But yeah. Um, what else uh, do people need to know about this stuff? Uh, my brother, like, um, you know, we got like five more minutes or so. What is it that uh, you want to wrap up on? 
I would say be careful with exit taxes. That's something that also people don't consider and make sure you exit your country properly. So what some of my clients, for example, one client from Denmark, he moved from Denmark to Dubai. Now he's living in Dubai. And his Danish accountant told him, hey, dude, you haven't left Denmark yet. He's like, no, I left six months ago. No, no, no. The Danish tax department says that you're still paying tax in Denmark. And now he's leaving Denmark. And he found out that the date he left Denmark is today, six months after he left Denmark because mm -hmm. he never actually left. So do make sure that you exit your country properly. If you're looking at paying less taxes or zero tax, great. Choose the place that you're going to. Make sure the lifestyle fits you. But also check the law in your home country, specifically the big four, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. They're quite tough, quite aggressive. And you might need to pay 20 to 30% exit tax. Now, if you're in crypto, let's say you had $10 million in crypto. Now you have four. Well, now is the right time to get out because you're going to be paying 20 or 30% of 4 million, not 10 and then when it appreciates again, then you're going to be able to pay zero taxes. That's that's something big that many people don't consider. Those are the main things. So where are you going? Does the lifestyle fit where you're going? Make sure it's low tax or zero tax, or at least territorial, which means that you pay tax only on income earned in the country. Also make sure that you take into consideration where you're leaving. Grab a couple of citizenships and make sure they're legit because there are some fake programs. I, I was contacted by a lawyer selling me Romanian citizenship for $25,000. That's fake. There's no no such thing as a European passport for twenty, thirty, thirty thousand dollars And it is very common. And it's obviously very attractive, but it, it's fake. Mm. So the only passports that are available truly are 100000 plus to, to buy them. Is there a strategy where, I mean, we've talked about this before with um, another guest where your assets don't necessarily need to be where your ass is. Is it is a good idea to move assets out before you move your ass out? I would say yes. It, it doesn't matter what country you're moving to. Obviously, make sure that the banking is strong, that there's good laws, good security. But yes, move all the assets, move the banking. A lot of my clients, for example, they set up a residence permit somewhere else. They open bank accounts, they travel to that country, move all their assets. And then a month later, then they move their family, they sell their house, they essentially move everything over. So yes, that is a great line, like move your assets and then move your ass, because then it's all prepared for you there, mm -hmm. as well as prepare things before you're ready to leave. So let's say you love California, but you think that California is going downhill and it's going to be trash at some point. Then maybe move everything outside of California, keep it somewhere else, get an ID somewhere else outside of California. And at some point when it's bad enough, then you have everything sorted and you can leave right away. Mm. Uh, Carlos here says, what are a few reasons why people want to leave their country? I would say the main one is not just tax, because I would be okay paying a little bit of tax to the United States for keeping the passport or for being able to travel there every couple of months. Mm -hmm. But it's more the restrictions, more the documents that you need to submit to the government that they want to know absolutely everything about you. The restrictions from the beer bug, for example, Aust Australians couldn't go back home. Canadians couldn't travel outside without the shot. So the restrictions, mainly the biggest one. I would say weather also influenced a lot of people, mainly from the UK. They say that the weather in the UK sucks, so they want to move out, as well as business freedom but business restrictions as well so they can't invoice different companies that they want to they can't send as much money as they want they can't use cash to do whatever they want with their cash and their money so overall restrictions weather freedom in general obviously taxes and also possibilities for their family that they don't want their family to continue living the same life that they've been living um 
when it comes to sort of investigating, you know, the country that you may want to set up a residency in, what do you think is a reasonable period of time to see what the country is really made of? Is it a month, three months, six months, you know, that they should spend there versus sort of figure it out, see if they really like it or not? I would say one month of intense research. So for example, a lot of people, they might go to Mexico, for example, stay in the most prestigious neighborhood and then don't go out of their house that much for a month. You're probably not going to find out much about the place when you do that. So Mm. I would say if you're going somewhere, go for a month, but do a lot of intense research, act like a local. So stay in a place that you would really stay in, not in a posh hotel or a five-star hotel with a giant view from the 45th floor. If that's a realistic place that you want to live in long-term, then sure, do that. But go to a local places, go to a bank, try to open a bank account, go to a local financial institution and talk to them to see what the rules are. Go to a local accountant, local lawyer to explore the visas that they have available. Talk to people like me that can explain to you immigration in different places. So really act as if you're already moving for a month and see if you like it. Because I've been to some places, I would say Prague is a beautiful place in the Czech Republic, but I would probably never move there because the restrictions are really high. Taxes are extremely complicated. The government overall is all over the place. So I really wouldn't want to live in a place like that, even though it's absolutely beautiful. Mm. So one month of intense research. All right. Let's do this as a last question. Um, What's your take on crypto being backed by commodities? I don't have that much experience with crypto backed by commodities. I would say the main cryptos that I invest in are cryptos that have been here for a while, like Bitcoin, ETH. I would say Solana hasn't been here for a while, but it's also quite strong and very well backed. I would say payment systems and structures for crypto. Those are the cryptos that I invest in, not meme coins or not on any of these new projects. More like cryptos that are used for payments. Like Bitcoin is really easy to make payments with ETH, USDT obviously made with ERC20. All these cryptos are the ones that I tend to invest in. Not super familiar with backed by commodities. Yeah, I mean, it's more of a stable coin when you're talking about crypto being backed by a commodity. Mm-hmm reasonably stable anywhere it should be but we've seen coins over the last few months like you know with lunaterra sort of like you know explode yeah. blow up sort of thing so it's like all right you know how do you know what's what in an, in an economy like we're in today where it's uncertain we're definitely in a recession they haven't made the official announcement i don't think yet um you're probably better off waiting if you're looking for something more stable to put some money into that's backed by a commodity i mean i think they have some cryptos that are backed by gold or they're purportedly backed by gold that I think so, but I haven't looked into them that much because usually just, like for, yeah. yeah, yeah, just get Bitcoin. I mean, I mean you know, it's, it's exactly. the most stable, like backed coin that's on the market. It's been around for the longest period of time and it, it's, it's got a proven history. It's, it's, it's on a blockchain, dude. Like <laughs> it's all there, man. Um, yeah, but it is what it is, man. You know, those questions will always pop up right now because, you know, people are scared and that's good if you're buying. You know, buy when other people are scared. It's you know, it's a good time to pick up assets like that. But thanks, um, thanks for popping in. So again, um, if you want to learn more about what Raphael talks about, go to his YouTube channel. It's tagged in the title of this video. Um, you. And you know, you can book a consult with him. You can learn more about his company. And uh, look forward to seeing a video that comes out on some sort of ranking system, or if you have some sort of quiz that comes out, that'd be awesome. I think that'd be a nice little tool. I'll build that. Thank you for telling me. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it.